This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll. As Christians, we're a remembering people. When we gather and worship on Sunday, when you gather as res groups or in fellowship with your friends, we're reminding one another what God has done. And we're remembering those promises that he's made of what he will yet do. And in the season of Advent, we remember the one who was begotten of the Father before time, was born of Mary in the fullness of time, and will return as Lord of all at the end of time. And these truths all taken together represent for us what's called the first and the second advent of our Lord. The first coming and his second coming. One we remember because it's happened. The second we remember that he's promised it will yet happen. A French medieval monk named Bernard of Clairvaux, however, spoke of a third advent. He said, there is another coming of God, and it is now, the holy present. Or as a mentor of mine likes to say, if you're ever going to meet God, it's going to be in a place called here and a time called now. So this third advent, the holy present. And you could, if you will, read the Bible as one long story or a collection of many stories that add up to one long story of this third advent, of the coming of God to deliver his people. So he hears the groaning of his people in Egypt. He says, I've heard your groaning. I've heard the cries of the captives and the pleas of the prisoners. And as the Lord of Israel, I have now come. Whereas the psalmist says, our God comes and he does not keep silence. Our God is the God who shows up to rescue, to save, and to deliver his people. He says to you, I am your maker who gave you life, and I am your savior who gave you life again when you'd lost it and forfeited it to the enemy. And so as your maker and your savior, I have come. Our God comes, and he does not keep silence. And so in the time of Moses, he delivered his people from the Egyptians. In the time of Joshua, he saved them from the Canaanites. In the time of Gideon, he rescued them from the Midianites. In the time of David, he redeemed them from the Philistines. In the time of Hezekiah, he delivered them from the Assyrians. In the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, he ransomed them from the hand of Babylon, Persia, and all the far countries to which they'd been scattered. Our God comes and does not keep silent. And he is a rescuer and a deliverer. Amen? Amen. And today is the third advent. Now, is the third advent of our God. And he has come to you today to deliver you and to rescue you and to save you from your enemies. But what if our enemies are within? What if our enemies are not Egyptians or Assyrians or Babylonians or Philistines? What if the enemies are inside And the things that beat us down, the enemies that knock us off our feet, the thing that discourages you to the point of despair and keeps you in a cycle of inward paralysis and weakness, what if that is an enemy within? You need a deliverer. 
You need a rescuer and a savior who fights not with a sword of steel, but with the sword of the spirit, who can wash away and flush out and rout the enemies, not with water, which can only wash skin deep, but to wash you with a deeper washing that can cleanse you and rout those enemies that are deeper than the skin, who can wash you with rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And in this third advent, in the coming of our God now and today, to you in this time, this is exactly what Jesus comes to do, to deliver you from the enemies within. If you're not already open to Mark chapter 1, go ahead and open there and, and look at the end of the passage, what we just read. John is speaking and he says, I have a baptism that's with water. But he, speaking of Jesus, the one who is coming, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And here it's important to know that the word baptize also can be translated immersed, immersion. Because what he's saying is, one is coming, Jesus the Messiah, who will plunge you into the very Spirit of God so that God himself, him and no other, but the King eternal will fill you with power and a love so high and deep and wide and long that it will flush out and rout all your enemies and leave no place for them to come. So at the end, what we'll come back to, this, this really is the most important part of this passage, the most important promise that amounts to nothing less than our very salvation, that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We'll come back to that at the end. First, we've got some work to do. And first, I want to tell you about my treehouse. So last summer, I started building a treehouse for my children and partly for me. And uh, at an earlier draft of this sermon, I looked at it and realized that more than half of the sermon was me telling you about my treehouse. And I said, oh, that's probably not edifying. But I'm really excited about my tree. I'm really proud of it. And I mean that in a vain way. I'm proud of what I've done. But I was looking at it the other day, admiring the work of my hands. Um, and, and I noticed, or I thought to myself, you know what? One year ago, I could not have built this treehouse. I couldn't have done it. How come? Because right on the ground below the treehouse was a 20, 25-foot pile of brush. All the stuff that we've been clearing out over the last two years since we moved into our house, we all just piled it right there. And right next to the brush pile was this buckthorn tree growing about 25 feet high and growing right into the space where the treehouse now is. And that tree and that brush pile would have made it impossible for me to build my treehouse. Did I mention it's really big? It's magnificent. But I, it could not be there until we cleared out the brush pile, until we chopped down that tree and chopped it up into bits. So there's some work to do. Before this third advent, before the third coming of our Lord into the now and the present, we have to do what they did at his first advent. So John had a message of preparation, prepare. Look at the scriptures. We see it like a drumbeat rolling all throughout this passage. In verse 2, he's quoting from the prophets. Yes, he quotes from Isaiah. Actually, the first 
uh, three lines there are from Malachi. So he quotes the prophet Malachi. He says, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Prepare. He's going to clear the brush pile. He's going to cut down that buckthorn tree. And that's from Malachi. Just a little tip on whenever you're reading the New Testament, if you come across something that's quoted from the Old Testament, a good practice is to find, usually at the bottom of your Bible, it'll say, hey, this is from such and such a place. Go to that place and read around. Because when we do, we go to Malachi chapter 3, and we find that right after the Lord says, I will send my messenger to prepare the way, the very next verse is, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So it's a promise, it's, it's a preparation that then prepares the way for the coming of God. And then our verse 3, the quotation from Isaiah that we heard read this morning. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Raise up those valleys, chop down those buckthorn trees, and clear the brush pile. Prepare the way. And as you listened, that's in verse 3, 4 in, in Isaiah 40. Later on in the same passage that we heard, what does he say? Because our God comes. Behold your God. He comes with vengeance. He comes with recompense. So it's a word of preparation, preparing for our God is coming. And now look at verse 7. Again, a word of preparation. John was preaching, and he says, after me. That's a word of prepare, get ready. After me comes one who is mightier. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. He's saying, I'm just the opening act. And in my day, it would be, well, let me say this first. Uh, Jesus later talked about John the Baptist, and he said, you know, of all the prophets, he was the greatest ever born of woman, which is an amazing thing to say, considering Moses, Samuel, Elijah, and all the rest. Jesus said, he was the greatest. And yet John is saying, but I'm only the opening act. They'd be like, in, in my day, cold plays in town, or if you like iron and wine, or U2 is always a good bet if you like U2. U2 is in town, but they're only the opening act. And they're opening for question mark, but someone even greater. So John is saying, prepare yourselves. There's one who's coming who's mightier. God is coming. How, then, do we prepare? you got to love this about John's ministry and his message. It's, it's very singular. One message, prepare. One application. How do we do it? Look at verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So the way we prepare, the way we chop down that buckthorn tree and clear out that pile is we confess our sins. And in what's happening, this is nothing less than a revival moment is going on in the early uh, to mid-first century in the land of, of the Jews. There's a revival breaking out, and the heart of the revival is John the Baptist preaching, come confess. And so you can imagine that what's happening is in his message, he's not only telling them, confess your sins, but look at the end of verse 5. It says they're confessing their sins. This means out loud. They're speaking out loud, probably even to John himself. They're coming down into the water, and they're saying, here are all the awful things I've ever done. 
Here's what the Lord is showing me about my sin and what is true about me that's displeasing in his sight and, and I'm just confessing it now and they're plunged under the water and they're forgiven. This confession to one another, this is so important, this out loud speaking your sin, renouncing your idols, saying, I just realized I've had a false God and I need to speak that out to a brother, to a sister. Because when we speak out loud, when we open our mouths, we open our hearts for the third advent. When we open our mouths and speak the conviction that the Lord is giving to us, it's then that our hearts are open. And if we do not speak, if we try to hide it and keep it in, if we do not fully acknowledge what we've done and who we are that is displeasing to the Lord, the door of our heart is shut. And the Lord Jesus cannot come. The way has not been prepared. So the work of confession, it's merely clearing the way. I mean, it's, it's not the thing. The thing is building the treehouse. That's what's really exciting. And again, we'll get to that in a moment. But the work of confession is essential and absolutely necessary. If we do not open our mouths, our hearts remain closed, even to the Lord. So Jesus comes to us in his third advent. He's here this morning. He wants to deliver you from those enemies within, those enemies that you cannot get to because they're deeper than the surface. And we see here baptism. John is baptizing. As Christians, we're familiar with baptism. And baptism is a good symbol because water, one of the things that water does is it cleanses us, right? Water cleanses. But this is only the outward symbol. And water cleansing us, we know, as I said earlier, will not satisfy the deeper need. We need a washing that's deeper than the skin. We need something that no substance on this earth can do. We need a washing by the Holy Spirit. You know, oftentimes, and unfortunately, this is something that for most of us we experience at least once or a couple of times in our lives. Sometimes something so awful will happen, something you've done that you feel utterly horrible about, or something that was done to you and it's just truly awful. And when that happens, a common instinct is to go and take a shower. People say, I, I just, I went, in, I felt so dirty. I just went into the shower and I showered for 45 minutes and I scrubbed and I scrubbed, but no matter how hard I scrubbed, I couldn't get that dirty feeling off of me. I couldn't get clean. So this common instinct to go and take a shower when you're feeling dirty is also mirrored by a common experience. But no matter how long I shower and how hard I scrub, I can't feel clean. And that's just a signal, a sign to us, telling us you need a washing that's deeper than what water and soap can do. And if any of you feel that way this morning about anything, I have good news for you. Those enemies that you can't get rid of, those enemies that you can't get to because they're below the surface, Jesus can wash them away. Jesus can plunge you. He can immerse you into his Holy Spirit.
He can deliver you and rout the enemies and fill you with his own presence. And whether that thing that sticks in your memory like a splinter is from last night or from 20 years ago, if you open your mouth, you will also open your heart and Jesus will come in the third advent and he will deliver you. Our God comes. He does not keep silent. He is a deliverer and a rescuer. And by the Holy Spirit, he can wash away what nothing on this earth can wash away. So confess, open your mouth, speak to a brother, speak to a sister, and pray for that infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to distinguish. There is the sacrament of baptism in which we are given the promise of the Holy Spirit. But what we're talking about today, after that, is possible for a continued infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is why that language of immersion is really helpful to distinguish it from that one-time moment of the sacrament of baptism. There can be multiple ongoing moments in your life where when you confess and you pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you are immersed, you are washed, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that is something that you can minister to one another. You don't need a priest to minister this kind of immersion. When you confess to a brother, to a sister, and they pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you can receive this ministry. Now, a quick note on that. If there is something really big, really heavy, and you know when it is, adultery, an addiction, abuse, etc., you can still minister that a person who's sharing with you, and after you do that, then go tell the church also. and Say to that person, we're going to go talk to the church about this together, and it's going to be okay. So you can minister to that person, absolutely. But then also bring the church in for the big stuff. You're not alone. The church is there, and together, that person's going to find freedom in time. Also, just a missional note. You can minister this not only to other believers, but, oh, God, may it be the case that in the next year, some of you who are now listening to me talk will have an experience where a coworker comes to you and says, I've got something I feel really awful about that I've done. And at that moment, you can say, Jesus can forgive you for the wrong things you've done. Tell it to him and let me pray for the infilling of the Spirit. You can do that to people who wouldn't even call themselves Christians. Praise the Lord. Now, you might be asking, what if the enemies within, those things that beat me down and keep me in a cycle of paralysis, what if they're not easily identifiable as, as sin? The answer is confession is still the way forward. It might require a little deeper digging to get to the roots of some things. It might require a little longer allowing the searchlight of the Holy Spirit to show you some things, but confession is still the answer. So when you're feeling weak, despondent, hopeless, joyless, slogging through, beaten down, it may be counterintuitive, and you may not like me saying this, but confession is still the answer. It's confession that will break through weakness, that will snap the despondency, that will shed light on hopelessness, it's confession that will beat back the enemy who is beating you down because when you open your mouth to confess, you open your heart and Jesus the Deliverer can come. But let me give you an example of this. What happens when it's something that doesn't, the enemy within doesn't seem to be a readily identifiable sin? An example from my own life. 
just from the last few weeks here. So the last few weeks, I've, I've been in a place of deep anxiety and insecurity, deep inner turmoil, wrestling through some old lies that I'm believing, some old enemies that, that keep coming back from time to time. And it's just been a particularly deep valley and, and rough bout. And it may surprise you if all you know is me from Sunday morning to hear that actually my default is anxiety. I, I default towards insecurity, towards thinking I'm not good enough. I'm an imposter. It's only going to be a matter of time before people find out that I shouldn't be where I am and doing what I'm doing and someone else should come along and take my place. Or feeling threatened that someone will come along and take my place. And all of this is feeling embattled in this turmoil, deep anxiety and deep insecurity. And you might say, well, Brett, that's not sin. I just feel really bad for you. And by the way, I know that feeling. I'm sure you do. And as I shared with friends, those closest to me, they, they did what good friends do. They, it was really encouraging. They, they spoke truth into my life. They said all the good stuff that you just can't hear too many times, right? They just say that again. I can't hear that too many times. And that was beautiful. But do you want to know what else was really helpful for me? And not that I'm totally out of this, but now I can fight it was when the Lord revealed to me the sin that was actually at the root of my anxiety and my insecurity. So as I was wrestling through and, and digging down deep, the Lord showed me something. He said, you know, Brett, the confident person and the insecure person have this in common. The underlying lie that they're both believing is that it's up to me. It's up to me, and it's all up to me, and my skill, and my ability, and if I don't do it, I'm going to fail, and all this bad stuff is going to happen. And he just said, the confident person believes that lie. The insecure person believes that lie too. The confident person just says, and I can do it. And the insecure person says, it's up to me and I can't do it. But what he was showing me is at the root of that insecurity, Brett, is actually an idolatry of self. You've got yourself focused on yourself. You still think it's up to you. You're not fully trusting in me. And you might think, God, go easy on him. Don't kick him while he's down. But actually, that revelation came. Yes, it was not fun. It, it was humbling to realize, oh, I thought insecurity meant I was humble. But now I realize I'm actually sinful, that I've got an idol here. But when that moment of revelation came, I was able to say, you're right, Lord. I'm not fully trusting in you. I'm putting the pressure all on myself, and you're inviting me to let go of that, and I did. And again, I'm not totally out of that valley, but now I know how to fight. And probably for, for many of you, when, when there's something going on, and it may be not readily identifiable as a sin, if you do that deeper digging work, you too will find th there's a sin at the root of this. And oftentimes... Oftentimes, it's that same one. I'm not fully trusting in you, Lord. I'm not fully trusting in you. Because some of you, I know you're saying this in your mind, but I've been reading my Bible. I've, been, I've confessed everything that I can think of to confess. I'm still not free. It may be that the Lord is keeping you in that place to show you a deeper revelation. Here is where you're still not fully trusting in me. And it's an invitation to deeper faith. It also could be that the Lord just has you in a particular test, in a trial. Remember, this is all something that the Lord only can do. Only he can deliver us. And if it's not his appointed time, 
We cannot deliver ourselves. And sometimes his timing is not what we would choose. And if that's the case, be steadfast. Keep in the word. Keep confessing. Wait for the Lord and don't give up. But usually there is a way that deep, deep down, you can discover, wow, there, there is either an idol here or I'm simply not trusting in the Lord. And as we open our mouths, you know, it felt so good to bring that revelation to my friends this last week. As we open our mouths, we open our heart, and the third advent of our God happens, and he delivers us or begins to deliver us. And still up to this point, all we're talking about is chopping down the buckthorn tree and clearing out the brush pile. This is still just the preparation. And the best is yet to come. And, and yes, what would be a lot more fun to talk about is the tree house that's going to be built. So Jesus, in, in John chapter 14, he, he speaks of this third advent. He says, those who believe in me and those who do what I say and follow me, I love you and my Father will love you and my Father and I will come to you and we will build a tree house with you. We will make our home with you. When you clear out the buckthorn, when you clear out that brush pile, we'll come and we'll build that tree house. We'll make our home with you. You will be a temple of the Holy Spirit. So again, look at verse 8. This is, this is where it gets really good. I've baptized you with water, says John, but he, the Lord Jesus, will immerse you, will plunge you with the Holy Spirit. He will do it. Jesus alone can do it, but he will do it. And he will immerse you. He will plunge you into God, his own life, the very heart and very being of God. Or as Jesus also promised in the upper room, I will be in you and you will be in me. And how beautifully our two sacraments symbolize this, right? Eucharist, I will be in you, Christ coming into us. In baptism, you will be in me. We are going into the Lord, our life hidden in him. And this is called participation where we participate in the divine life. And this is where it's all leading to. And this is why earlier I said this promise in verse 8 that God in Jesus Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It amounts to nothing less than your salvation. You are saved when God fills you with his being and his life and his presence. That is salvation. What will eternal life and heaven be but that of this continual filling and overflowing of the life of God? his power, and his love. That is salvation, to participate in the divine life, to be immersed, plunged, fully surrounded, overflowingly full in the height and depth and the width and the length of the love and power of God. One image that the church has used to describe this is that it's like a coal going into the fire. Out of the fire, the coal is dark and cold, and you can hold it in your hand. If you take that coal and you throw it right into the heart of the fire, after a minute, what happens? It begins to glow. It begins to get hot. You can't touch it. It has taken on the fire. And the amazing, almost unreal promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that you, the coal, that right now, apart from God, you would be cold and dark, you can participate in the fire of God's own life and his divine love to the point that no one could touch you. 
can't touch that. It's divine. You are becoming divine. And if that sounds like heresy, it almost is. It's, a, it's truly unreal, except that it's real. That what happens in the salvation that we call our own is God says, I have fully shared in your humanity so that you can fully share in my divinity. That's Athanasius, early church father. Or what we say at the table when we take the water, the deacon does this and pours it into the chalice. The prayer that you don't hear because it's while the offertory is going, the prayer is, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in his divinity who humbled himself to share in our humanity. So this full participation in the life of God, this coal into the fire, being immersed in God, it's unreal. Immersed into the very God who created the universe, plunged into the heart of a being who is eternal. And even now, while you're still in this world, beginning to participate in a reality beyond this world and beyond our understanding, fully immersed in the love of God. And so today, on this, the third advent of our God, what do you need to be delivered from? What confession do you need to bring to open your heart to the Lord? And as I say that, there, there are two responses happening in you right now. Some of you, the first response is, it's obvious what you need to confess. You know what you're enslaved to because it dominates your life and you can't get out of it. And if that's you today and the obvious sin that you need to confess is so apparent to you, here is your action point this week. Confess to a brother or a sister. It can be a priest or a pastor. It can be a friend, a brother or sister. But if that's you and it's obvious what you need to confess, do not let this week pass you by. Even do it today if you can. Open your mouth that your heart may be open and receive the deliverer and begin to get free from that which enslaves you. If I ask the question, what do you need to confess today? And it's not immediately obvious, that's okay and really normal. Let me encourage you then, here's your work this week, to go to the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. In the Gospel of John, the first advent is described as the Word of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. In the Revelation written by John also, chapter 19, the second advent is described as the Lord of lords and King of kings coming on the white horse, and his name is, what does it say? His name is the Word of God. So if the first advent, is just, he's described as the Word of God, and in the second advent, Jesus is named the Word of God, do you think that the third advent that we are seeking has something to do with the Word of God? Yes, it absolutely does. So be in the Word, as our collect today admonished us. But it's not just a reading of the Word, it's reading with the life and the light of the Holy Spirit illuminating because it is the Holy Spirit that conceived Jesus in the Virgin Mary. It is the Holy Spirit who inspired these scriptures, and it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that conceives the Lord Jesus in our hearts as well. So may we come to the Lord doing our work to prepare, cutting down the buckthorn tree and clearing that brush pile, 
And may we with eager anticipation and fullness of faith believe that our deliverer comes, our God comes, and he does not keep silent. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.